Itchy red bump disease is one of the biggest black boxes in all of dermatology. Well, that's Dr. Stephen Feldman. Uh, Dr. Feldman is joining us again. Uh, he's a professor of dermatology, pathology, and public health sciences at Wake Forest University School of Medicine. He's a dermatologist and skin pathologist at Wake Forest Baptist Health in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He is our guest today on JCMS Author Interviews, and I'm your host, Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery and a Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of Calgary. Today, Dr. Feldman and I will discuss the manuscript he co-authored that will appear in our July-August 2023 edition. It's a letter that he submitted and titled, Characterizing the Treatment of Papular Dermatitis, a Retrospective Chart Review. All right, Stephen, thank you very much for joining me again. It's, uh, it's a wonderful experience to have the opportunity to chit-chat. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for including me. You're welcome. And I, I chose the article that has a really clinically-based focus, and that is itchy red bump disease. Now, I grew up with that. I don't think our younger colleagues really understand it. Not that we understand it any better. <laughs> we, we at least accept it. But, you know, it's, it's a kind of thing where where um, when I say itchy red bump disease, they, it sort of glaze over and think just another old dermatologist, um, you know, that doesn't know what he's doing talking about things. But I'm going to tell you, I think itchy red bump disease is quite a popular event for people. I think it's quite common. Yes, yeah, common and frustrating. And, um, you know, for somebody like me who came to medicine from a, you know, a basic chemistry background, you know. I did really well in organic and physical chemistry because I, I like understanding first principles and mechanisms of things. Itchy red bump disease is one of the biggest black boxes in all of dermatology. <laughs> Would it be similar to dermal hypersensitivity reaction? That's what our pathologists call this, what I think clinically is itchy red bump disease, but they call it a dermal hypersensitivity reaction is that just medical speak for itchy red bump disease? It sure sounds like it. it's a non-specific histologic pattern consistent with. I mean, there's probably some eos in there. It's a spidiosis. It, yeah. I, I I don't like it sounding dermal, the word dermal, because that presumes there would be no epidermal change. But yeah. I I'm pretty sure there is no itchy red bump disease without epidermal change, right? These patients have little ulcers. Yeah, pick marks or little juicy papules that are randomly distributed up and down. Um, sometimes go with steroids, sometimes don't. You know, um, but I see methotrexate in this article. In your world, is a pretty popular therapy. Yes, you have to always consider selection bias whenever you're looking at any kind of data. So, here at the academic center, a lot of these patients probably get referred to Joe Urizzo. And they've probably been treated with a lot of things already. And so methotrexate probably wouldn't be the first thing they'd gotten. But in our practice, it might be one of the most common things they would be on. So that would be a capital I itchy person then. Like somebody that's just life altered. Uh, yes, I think that these people do tend to have life altering disease with, in addition to the ulcerations, excoriations that you see, I sense there's usually 10 times as much, maybe 100 times as much old scars from all the old ones they used to have. Yeah. Well, they they have difficulty sleeping. All the, all the things we know about with regard to chronic itch. Now, the 
Europeans might call this chronic pyrigo, papular type. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I, I think in, in our paper uh, we use the word papular dermatitis because uh, it's red bump disease doesn't sound scientific. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, a chronic pyrigo papular type sounds entirely reasonable. Although when I see these people at the stage of excoriations, I usually don't see a lot of papules. Maybe there had been papules that they already scratched off. So am I in my... Right? Am I thinking that you work them up for a like a blistering disease? You do the biopsies, and is this a diagnosis of kind of exclusion, if you will? Yes, for sure. Yeah, because they can, they can look like well, they could look like uh, people with uh, skin picking disorder, if you will. Is there a difference between those two? Well, interesting. You should say that um, it, because the in the primary psychodermatological disease world. Yes, there is this chronic skin picking event that's probably that's trying to be des- defined as an entity unto itself. Um, under, um, I think they ex- call them excoriation disorders in DSM five. I, I think of itchy red bump disease as something different. I think of this as the bump that itches rather than the itch that bumps. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So uh, we might distinguish it to my way of thinking, as you either have an inflammatory disease causing itching and excoriations, or you have some psychological issue that's causing picking that results in secondary inflammation. Yeah, both of which we don't know how to treat well, or <laughs> neither of which we know how to treat well. Either. And so, well, you know, I wonder if for the inflammatory ones, you know, I, I think of atopic dermatitis as being a lot like contact dermatitis. Histologically, I don't think they can be distinguished. Sometimes I wonder if atopic is really some form of contact where we just don't know where the contactant is. And these itchy red bump ones, I wonder if they are, you know, either atopic dermatitis or contact dermatitis where we really haven't seen the other signs of those things. Uh, And I have the sense that maybe our new treatments for atopic dermatitis and um, and pruragonodularis are going to be good treatments for the itchy red bump disease. Sure. I mean, anything that methotrexate works on, you have to think about using a JAK inhibitor, right? Or, or, or and in this instance, or dupilumab. Uh, Those which, were the two things I was thinking first, of first I'm, off. Yeah. I'm thinking of that. And then nemolizumab coming up quite quickly in our world. I don't know. I'm not sure if nemolizumab is available in America, is it? Is yet? Uh, not yet. So uh, I think nemolizumab, as I understand it, approval may come in the United States this year for pyrigonodularis, but it, 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 right now we don't have it. So I'm a big believer in the fact that it's the clinician still has the opportunity to make a significant difference in the definition of a disease. Because after we've seen so much of something, we can categorize it. We may not be able to break it down into the science, and maybe there are subtle differences in the pathophysiology of these things, but as a clinician, you get a pretty good sense of where things should fit. Um, and Yeah. You know, it's almost like we're mimicking an artificial intelligence. Without the hallucinations. <laughs> right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That is the problem with the artificial intelligence, though, these days. Isn't it? It's a bit of its make-believe. I, I, I'm not sure that I want to uh, think of my predecessors as make-believe. But, but all that said, when people look back on what we're doing to get our patients' treatments. Some of it is 
um, I don't know whether it's make-believe, but stretching the facts sometimes. Yeah. If you asked me for a strict criteria for itchy red bump disease, I'd be hard-pressed to give them to you. Yeah. If you show me a patient who has it, I'd be like, yep, that's one right there. Yes. And that's, I think that's what artificial intelligence does. You know, you see a bunch of them, you, 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 you get a gestalt for the pattern, and then you can label it. Um, I'm not sure we're that different that way. Yeah. Well, I call it augmented intelligence because you still need it to be there, right? It helped you figure it out. But at the end of the day, you'd be able to reject that, that hypothesis if it was inaccurate, Right. I hope even, so. <laughs> yeah, even, even if the machine says, yes, 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 you could still step in and say, no, this doesn't quite fit because of X. You have, you know, anyway, so we're, I digress. I'm not a big fan of the artificial intelligence for dermatology just yet. I see it going a little baby steps, um, but I don't see it um, being all that useful just yet. Although, although as an aside, I interviewed um, a fellow recently and um, he was able to show me that the letters generated by ChatGPT show more empathy than the letters <laughs> created by doctors. Oh, that myself, is interesting. Wow. You know, and you and I have talked about empathy before in, in the teledermatology world. And there's a, um, a professor in Edmonton, um, Dr. Marlene Detock, who has set up empathy as her her, her basic her research interest. And she's done a lot of work and, and um, it's, in our, it's in the GCMS and I've interviewed her a couple of times. And, and so empathy is becoming a pretty important subject in our world. And when we talk about J, chat JBT, when, it was, when the letters were more empathetic, deemed to be more empathetic by assessors, I thought to myself, okay, now we're in trouble. <laughs> now we're in trouble. So itchy red bump disease will get chat gpt to produce an empathetic letter to the patient i'm telling them we understand your disease we you know on and on and on and then uh here's how to take your methotrexate yeah i um i certainly could see the emr um looking at the diagnosis line and automa and the treatment lines and automatically preparing uh, patient education material based on those that would be far more detailed and empathetic than I am on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it has it has more. It's it's not that it has more time. It's just it's just shortened time, right? It's it's just created a a day that has infinite number of hours you know, by doing it. So, okay, yeah, another project for us. So so, so um, when you get that itchy red bump person in your office. You're, what you're saying is you know that they've come to you because you're a referral center and they've probably tried many things. How quickly do you go to methotrexate? Now that, knowing what you know about the disease. Yeah, so uh, now today if an insurer um, didn't stand in my way, I'd probably do dupilumab first. I, I think when we put together the paper, it was largely at a time when there probably wasn't dupilumab available. Um, even when it was, patients might have had to have gone through methotrexate first. But now, now I think, um, you know, if if it's, I can't remember what you call it, a dermal 
A dermal hypersensitivity reaction. A dermal hypersensitivity that has eosinophils in it. I'm probably thinking, man, this is this is within the grand scope of atopic dermatitis. Yep. And you haven't excoriated atopic dermatitis with, you know, in an itchy red bump pattern. And I think dupilumab would be a good choice. And then if that didn't work, then okay, maybe methotrexate or a jack inhibitor might be another really great choice uh, for the patient. It's just because it's so focused on itch. The jack yeah, itch and inflammation gets knocks them both out. So and so fast. Yeah, I I think I have started one or two very recently on a jack inhibitor. Yeah, it, it, that makes sense to me. And like I said, anything that's had methotrexate in the past is going to have one of those two drugs going forward, I mean, with the exception of psoriasis, of course. Um, but in the in the inflammatory, because we used methotrexate because we had nothing else to treat people with in the atopic world. Right? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> therapy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm a dermatologist, right? I mean, I'm not like a high-risk kind of taker and... Um, yeah, when I trained, I got pretty used to using methotrexate for psoriasis, but now I'm spoiled. You know, I got drugs for psoriasis that are more effective and so much safer, and then dupilumab. It's it's hard to... Even the JAK inhibitors, to me, don't seem to be as safe as what I would like. Yes. Yeah. Well, dupilumab is past the safety sort of milestone. It's, it's, it's proven itself to be a very safe and effective drug. And I, I take your point with these people with itchy red bump disease. I, I, I call it a adult atopic eczema. You call it what you like. But the idea is that I, just to try and get that atopy diagnosis uh, to it and, and on therapy based on, on that sort of a diagnosis. Yeah, I, another thing I used to think was involved was maybe staph infection in the skin and, and maybe... It would be interesting to see studies to see if antibiotics make any difference for these patients. Yeah. Well, I remember doing studies with uh, atopic dermatitis in, in that that's, that super antigen uh, hypothesis with regard to staph aureus and culturing the skin of the atopic and then treating with the antibiotic. And then but be, before we had these wonderful new medicines, mind you, um, where now those, that stuff's all behind us. Um, we, no one's going to look back. And, and try and figure it out. Uh, on the skins, on the surface, we're looking at the immune system and trying to trying to sort it there. But we're not. Nobody's searching for the holy grail. What is it that triggers this whole thing? Yeah, I think having a, a disease that's hard to define probably makes trials harder. Um, that said, you know there are folks who I think they have the holy grail and are trying to find the. They have the key. They're looking for the lock. I think, for example, this idea that, oh, you know, it all comes from the gut. It's all an imbalance in your gut bacteria. Yeah, I, maybe for okay. some disease. I don't know. It's like having a long list of drugs for any one condition. You know that no one's quite figured it out yet. You know, and everybody's different. And maybe atopic dermatitis will be inclusive of itchy red bump disease. Um, and we'll use it as in its broadest term to get people on treatment. So as a clinician, you'll say, yes, okay, I have to call this atopic dermatitis. I will, because it might be. And our job is to make people better. I w it's, it's not even might be. It is, because I said so. Okay. 
Opinion is fact, and we know that's important these days. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think your theory that we, as the clinician, we get to define what the patient has is absolutely right. Okay, Did you, any other um, things about itchy red bump disease that uh, you've learned over the years? Are there any comorbidities associated with it, or is it, uh, do you see more people with asthma or multiple allergies, or, you know, um, are these just, are most of them older people, most of them older men? that get itchy red bump disease? I don't know that there's a male predominance. I would have said, if anything, there was a female predominance in my experience. Um, but, but I don't. I, I really don't know. And I don't know of other comorbidities. You know, I don't even ask my atopic dermatitis, my classic atopic dermatitis patients whether they're having nasal polyposis or asthma or stuff. I just treat their eczema. But... I've gotten good about asking psoriasis patients about their joints. I'm not sure whether I should be asking about their asthma and stuff or not. Well, they'll tell you because remember when we first started biologics? And we started the biologics for the cutaneous psoriasis and people would come in and say, hey, I've been in the garden all day and my joints don't hurt me a bit. And you go, oh, okay. And they never thought they had joint disease. Yeah, or fatigue, their energy. They come back and say, I have so much energy. Yes. I, I didn't know how sick I was yes. until I went on this TNF inhibitor. Yeah. 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 So we're going to learn a lot as we tr start to treat these patients for sure. Okay. Well, itchy red bump disease. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. Well, that's it for this episode of JCMS Author Interviews Podcast. If you like what we're doing here, Please give us a rating, review where you listen. It helps more people find our interviews. And uh, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And if you're looking for more CDA podcasts, be sure to check out Dermalogs, our resident podcast that's hosted by my colleague, Dr. Kerry Purdy. So once again, thank you for listening. I'm Kirk Barber. And until next time, be good to each other. <laughs>